Second Timothy chapter two, verse fourteen. Remind them of these things and charge them before God, not to quarrel about words which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Let's go to God again. God, as we come now to the preaching of your word, Lord, I pray that you will still our hearts, that you will remove all distractions this morning, turn our attention upon you and your word. Father, may your word be taken in. May we receive the truth of your word and may we come to see Christ, our risen Savior. God, may we see him as beautiful and as awesome and as lovely and as good as he really is. God, I pray that you will give us a touch of your grace this morning. God, encourage your people. Lord, we are getting weary. Lord, this this time of separation, this this self-quarantine that we have been enduring, God, we need you. We need to be strengthened this morning. God, I pray that you will pick us up, that you will get us moving closer and closer to you, that you will keep our eyes focused on the cross and bring us to your throne of grace. God, put our feet on sure foundation. God, we praise you. God, use this sermon this morning to feed our souls. God, help me not to speak in error, but to exposit and explain the text. Father, I pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ will be heard, it will be clear, and it will be received. To the glory of your great name. Amen. Well, Thank you, Sammy and Jacob, for helping us worship our God with singing and reading through the psalm and prayer. And for Max, behind the scenes on the technical side, we have already heard the gospel several times this morning in our song and in our prayers. Now, as we turn to God's word, we want to see what he has said for us what it is that we need to know about him and we need to know about ourselves. We're continuing our series this morning in 2 Timothy. I've entitled the series of the book, Persevering in the Gospel. Continuing and enduring as followers of Jesus Christ in the gospel. 
This is what Christians do. The gospel is what we are all about. We persevere only by the gospel of Jesus Christ, by remaining in it. Our hope, what Christians believe as God's people, our hope is in what Christ has already accomplished. And the gospel tells us what Jesus has done and what he's now doing on our behalf. Last week, I focused on persevering, what that looks like and how we go about it. It is by God's grace and in his love for us that we repent and we believe in Christ for salvation and we then walk in obedience to him. It's all of God who causes us to believe, giving us a new heart and to then live as his people. It's real grace given for real living in Jesus Christ. By his spirit, a real doing of our faith in Christ. Our choices and decisions, what we look for, our aspirations, all that we are, all centering on Christ. The more we grow in our faith and we persevere, the more we will see, the more we do see our need for Christ and for God to be faithful to his promises which he always, God always is. What great encouragement God's people get from knowing who God is and growing in our love for him and maturing in faith in Christ. All of this, all that we are, all that we know about Christ, all that we know about the Father and the Spirit, our triune God, all about our faith, the doctrines of the church, All of this has come from what God has said in his word. I didn't just make it up. This is not just a man's opinion. These are words from God to his people. We're told to remember it. And we're even warned what will happen if we fail to remember God and his word. Encouragement correcting that we all need, faith building, growing in godliness, it all comes from Scripture. Learning how to perceive and persevere as a believer, recognizing false teaching, knowing God and His love, it all comes from the Bible. So that begs the question, how dependent are you on the Word of God. Are you into God's Word? Do you seek it? Do you see it as food for your soul, as protection from a worldly mindset, as a means of God's grace to you? Paul's going to tell us later in his letter in chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, and that the man of God may be complete, equipped of every good work. 
Is that how you live? How many of us believe the truths of the Bible, but we shut ourselves off from what it says throughout the week? It is so easy today to live and to be accepted as a Christian today and barely open our Bible to see what God is saying to us. This is not what God intends for you. It's not what God intends for me, for us as God's people. If this is you and and you think you're alone, please hear what I'm saying, not as condemnation of you, but as a confession of mine. It's easy to be consumed in the service of God and forsake the Scriptures. We all should look to the Scriptures more, and it needs to begin with me. If you take time to read, to study, and to memorize Scripture, God puts it into your heart and it will come back to you in your prayers and as you talk to others. But there is nothing like being in God's Word. Being filled with His truth and drinking in His grace that's poured out for you in His Word. If this is not enough to encourage you to get into God's word, maybe a reminder of the enemy of God who wants to destroy everything about you and your faith and the love and the grace of God will move you to the scriptures. God calls this enemy the devil. He says he is the father of lies. Jesus speaks of him in John 8 Beginning in verse 44, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a a liar and the father of lies. This father of lies is also known as the God of this age. In 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4, We're told the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We have an enemy who is powerfully at work. We don't see this enemy, but the church has always dealt with him. And from him comes lies about God and false teachings meant to scoop God's people up and just sweep them away from the truth. Generation after generation of God's people have been confronted with false teachings from the devil that distort the truth and deceive the masses. Every encounter with false teaching in church history has required a right understanding of God's word to beat back and defeat the lies. The church has been successful in this at every turn because God's grace has been given through his word. God's people have found strength and comfort and reason to endure, and it all comes from what God has revealed in his word. So far in his letter, the Apostle Paul has told Timothy to stand up for the gospel and even suffer for it 
if God requires it. He's given these broad granite-like truths about God's grace and the work of Christ and a picture of the Christian life to endure and face difficulties so the gospel will continue to advance. Now, beginning in our passage, Paul turns toward facing false teachers, confronting those who are caught up in the lies of Satan. Their craftiness requires more than a good response. There's good reason why earlier in the chapter, we're told that the church should entrust the teaching to faithful men. It's because there's an ever-present threat to the truth. To the truths of God being subverted and slanted, even if it's just a little bit but just enough to distract God's people and get them focused on the wrong priorities. It's like what Screwtape says to Wormwood in C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into nothing. All it takes is the slightest turn, the smallest distraction, the most subtle lie. So what is it that helps the believer endure to to stand up to false teachings and to see past the lure of the day and the distractions and remain tied to God's truth? What is it that teachers should be faithful to? Well, it's God's word. It's the Word. It's the Word of God that overcomes false teachers. It's the Word of God that gives reason to the Christian's suffering while standing for truth. It's the Word of God that will arm you for spiritual battle and keep you on the path of godliness. So from standing firm in the faith to suffering for the gospel to countering false teachers, we need to be in and we need to know and be all about God's Word. I'm sure you find yourself in at least one of those predicaments. I'm sure that you find yourself either needing to stand firm in your faith or you are suffering for the gospel or you need to confront a false teaching. You need to be reminded of what's at stake and be diligent at sharing the gospel truth no matter the cost. Every member of the church, all of God's people need this. That's why Paul says in verse 14 of our passage, remind them of these things. Timothy was to remind the church at Ephesus of all of this. Some translations say keep reminding them. Keep on reminding them again and again. Constantly remind the church of God's goodness and His love and His truth for their own sake and for what they're facing. Remind them of what He says in His Word. We all need it. We all find ourselves in need of comfort and and hope, and unbelievers need to be warned. 
Charles Spurgeon once said, let unbelievers leap into hell over our dead bodies. We need to be reminded again and again of who God is because you and I are bombarded every day with lies and we're confronting our own sin that's at war against us and our faith in Christ. The church needs pastors. The church needs teachers who will be in God's word and who will preach God's word to exposit and explain the sound doctrines of the Bible. In chapter 4, verse 2, Paul will say, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Don't let this be you. Don't let yourself drift from the truth to whatever's popular or easy or simply entertaining you. We don't sit under God's word every Sunday to be entertained. No, we we do it so that our joy in Christ will be full, so our souls will be nourished, so our hearts will be filled with truth and with his love, so we will know sincere, honest truth from counterfeit. You don't need my opinions. You need the essential teachings of the faith put before you, not someone's political slogans or their pet project or well-crafted catchphrases. I'm only interested in giving you the truth from God's Word. I'm only interested in you receiving God's grace and that you hold on to Christ and his love so that you will endure no matter the cost, no matter what comes at you. At the same time, at the same time as you are reminded of truth for your welfare, Paul says, and charge them before God not to quarrel about words. In other words, don't fight over the non-essentials. Now, don't misunderstand, Paul, that words don't matter. They really do. In the next verse, Paul says, Be a worker who's unashamed, who rightly handles the word of truth. Don't get caught up in the crowd that says doctrines don't matter because we shouldn't fight over words. No, words have meaning. Words have meaning and they give understanding and they lead us in a direction either toward the truth or away from it. Words matter. The word of truth matters. There are words that we have to know and we have to make a stand on. Words like grace. Words like God's Grace. We get our understanding and we wrap our heads around God's grace and by His Spirit, He helps us to understand His grace. Oh, what comfort and strength there is in that. 
Words like atonement, which is simply the covering of sin. Justification, the forgiveness of sin and God accepting you by faith. And imputation, giving you what you don't have. These words matter. But there are essentials and then there are non-essentials. There are words that just aren't worth fighting over. Not only are they not worth it, fighting over them will be detrimental. It will ruin the hearers. When you leave the sound teachings of Scripture, it ruins lives and it harms the church. Paul will then argue, I'm sorry, people, people, if when they leave Scripture, they will then argue over the silliest things. And it will be a rough, difficult time in the church, and the church will split because no one has the authority of Scripture. We have to fight for the teachings of Scripture. But we have to avoid going down the road of endless debate, of controversy, arguing over temporary, unimportant things. You see, in the church, there's always the pressure of building a gospel plus community. A gospel plus community begins with words that lead to ideas that add to the gospel and eventually take our focus away from it. We cannot have a church that is the gospel plus something else. The gospel doesn't lead us to other things. We make our stand on the gospel. If it's about Christ and about Christ dying for sinners and we're all in need of saving, if it's about God or the doctrines of the faith, then we should be willing to do whatever it takes so truth is exalted and it's heralded and it's held on to. When it comes to God and saving faith, terms need to be defined. But other debates just need to be left alone. Quarreling about words are not worth it. The language here that Paul uses is literally translated as having word fights. Word fights. What Paul is talking about here to Timothy is taking divine truth and degrading it into foolish controversy. Debates that lower the Bible to a level where God, what God says, is answerable to any of us. Fighting over words like music and fellowship and service, they can ruin lives. To divide over the style of music is wrong. Fellowship and service can be done in different ways and still be glorifying to God and good for the church. Think of what Paul is saying here as things of the church, they are like closed fists and having an open hand. It's like the church having a firm grip on some things and won't let go of it 
and then an open-handed approach to other things. We're close to any change to the fundamentals of the gospel. We are close to any change to what faith and grace and God's love is. We should not and cannot budge from that. If someone tries to change it, we, we need to take them on. But there are other things we can disagree and not divide over. We need to be open-handed in those things. But let's take this a step further because I think that's where Paul is leading us to. There are things we should not fight over in the church, but there are also things that should not even be allowed to come into the church, like human philosophy and psychological babble. Human philosophy and worldly psychology are irreverent. They try to reason a world without Christ, and that is deadly for the church. We should never seem to see the Bible as being the grounds for open debate when it comes to the truth of God. Now, in the church, we can discuss what it means, but we should never open up Scripture for the kind of debate that says God is not real, that the church is standing on things that, that it has created and made up. No, we should never submit the Bible to what we think it should be and putting it below us. It's the other way around. We need to submit to what God says in his word. The church is under attack by atheistic antichrist thinking and philosophy. It attacks the simple truths of God's word, and we need to avoid that. Let's not fight over the things that are not of first importance within the church. And let's not get sucked into word battles from those outside of the church that remove God out of the picture. By laying that out there, by creating that foundation for us, Paul gives us two examples then to show us what happens. It's a lesson for us, and if we follow this lesson, it's a means for us not to struggle if we will just listen to what God says here and follow. One example is negative, and the other is positive. These examples describe for us one path of abandoning Scripture and being wrapped up in human-centered thought. The other is approved by God and is dependent on the Word and uses it so that God will be glorified and the church is edified. Let's look at those examples and be honest with ourselves as to which camp we fall into and then see ultimately where we need to be. We'll look at the negative example first, and then we'll turn our attention to the positive. First, the negative example, the camp you don't want to be in, is the one that says truth is what I say it is, what I think makes sense. Look down with me at verse 16, if you will, and see what happens with this kind of thinking. 
But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Allowing irreverent, empty speech into the church, especially here in the pulpit, leads people away from God and His holiness. People are already fighting ungodliness. We don't need more ungodliness. The church needs holiness. We need to be holy because God is holy. Talk that's ungodly or that takes our eyes off of Christ and his gospel spreads like gangrene because every heart is susceptible to it. Gangrene is when the body, the tissue of the body actually dies. There's no blood flowing to that part of the body and not just at the skin. It can affect the muscles and the internal organs of the body. And if it's gangrene, it can smell really horrible. That part of the body that has gangrene has literally died. That is what irreverent talk and endless controversy does to the church. And it happens. Today, postmodern thinking has crept into the church and has wreaked its havoc. Postmodernism says we determine what truth is. Individuality and personal opinion have more weight and influence than the church and God's truth. Postmodernism looks at Scripture and says it can be interpreted in an infinite amount of ways. God says there's one interpretation with many applications. Postmodernism says there can be no absolute truth. Each person determines their own truth. It puts personal experience above God and His Word. That kills your need for the gospel. It turns saving faith from a hope that God gives in love into a license to live however you want to live. Postmodernism takes the holy, righteous God who gives peace and eternal security and unending love and just simply pushes him out of the way so sinners can live however they think and feel. Our emotions and our thoughts become the driving force in our lives. That's irreverent, and it's deadly. If that's not bad enough, think about how many of us live that way throughout the week. Living as if God doesn't matter. That saving faith is only for Sunday and other times when the church gathers. This kind of thinking and living leads to a denial of the truth. Paul mentions two men who turned away from the truth, men like Hymenaeus and Philetus. They will take the truths of Scripture and argue it for their own selfish gain, and so doing, upsetting the faith of others. Hymenaeus and Philetus said the resurrection of the elect had already taken place. 
that believers have it all now. But that's not in line with Scripture. We live in an already but not yet stage. Those who repent and believe in Christ alone for salvation live in an already saved from judgment state. But we are not yet free from sin's effects. We will be one day when we will be resurrected in glory. Until then, God says to live in obedience to his word. Hymenaeus and Philetus stopped thinking of themselves as answerable to God in his word and in need of saving from their own sin. They no longer looked to Christ in that day of his second coming. They swerved from the truth and upset the faith of others, and they will have to answer to God for that. Paul says upsetting, when he uses the word upsetting the faith, he uses upsetting as if knocking something over, not not being hurtful or offended, but upsetting something like it's set on a ledge and it falls over, falls off. It's as if a person, to give you a picture of that, it's as if a person is standing on a a big rock in a sea of sand and you knock the rock over. What happens to the person? Well, they fall. They hit the ground and it's hard for them to get up. They can't get their footing. That's what Paul means here. Swerving from God's truth upsets a person's faith. They fall, and it's hard for them to get back up. That kind of thinking spreads like wildfire in the church. It needs to be cut off. That's what you do with gangrene. You amputate whatever part that's been affected so it won't spread. Avoid the temptation to put your understanding and your desires on the same level as Scripture. It will damage your faith and harm the body of Christ. Keep God's Word where it rightfully belongs. Strive hard to understand, but even if you don't understand what you're reading and what you're studying, keep it as authoritative in your life. If you think you're immune to this, or if I'm talking to someone else, that it won't happen to you, just look at the Christian landscape today. All the churches that look more like theme parks than houses of prayer. There are churches that are just like a theme park instead of being Christ-centered and focused on godly living. Don't get caught up in that. Stay in God's word. Keep the cross of Christ in your sights. Remember God's love and your need, your constant need of saving grace. True saving faith seeks God's holiness. It seeks God's holiness. It's not just knowledge of God but a deep longing for Christ in all his glory, in all his purity, looking to him and being conformed to him. It's agreeing with God that you need him. It's measuring everything in this world by the standards of what God says in his word. 
Saving faith sees sin and then pleads for the mercy of Christ. It's asking to be conformed to Christ and away from a mindset and a desire that seeks to please self and and to be in godless living. Remember the true essence of the faith and don't let irreverent babble take a hold of you. Remember what God says and look to him for his grace and his love. This leads to the positive example that Paul gives. This positive example that we have, the one that God approves, the one that Paul tells Timothy and every pastor needs to be, and thus you should be taught and seek to follow and become is that of the worker who's unashamed of the truth, who's all about Scripture, who rightly handles God's Word, who sees it as truth. God's people are people of the Word. They look for His truth and they follow it. Not their own, not someone else's. The Word of God is the anchor in their heart and their life is built on the Word. Using that same image of the rock in the sand, this is a rock that can't be knocked over. Many have tried to move that rock, to crack it, to chip away at it, and it continues to this day to stand firm. The one that stands on that rock of Scripture is the one that Paul is talking about. This person is the one who says God's Word is the firm foundation for their life. They are the ones who say they belong to the Lord and they hate their own sin as much as God does. That they know they need Christ and His Word and they are dependent on God's Word. They know they are secure because of what God says in His Word. They see His Word as their lifeline. God, knowing who are His, is the weight that keeps them on that rock. It balances their life and it keeps them from falling. This is pastors who show the simple meaning of Scripture that Christ is always the focus. They rightly handle Scripture. It literally means cutting a straight path. Rightly handling the Word of God is like cutting a straight path in the forest of sin and lies and false teaching. It clears a straight path right to the cross of Jesus Christ. You need pastors who will cut that path to Christ. You need teachers who will show you His way. And then after hearing them, you leave with a better understanding of how to walk in obedience to Christ and you know how that path is straight to Christ. This kind of preaching and teaching is what's needed in the church. It's based on Scripture and it never wavers from it. It sees God's Word as wonderful and a beautiful light that shines into dark hearts. It sees God's Word as power and as the God who uses it to build holy lives for His people. It is a seal that imprints God's glory and His righteousness on the church, and that His Word is a comfort in your life. 
We don't know the hearts of everyone. We can't see what is going on inside, but we can see their fruit. Do they see God and treat sin as he says in his word? Let that be our standard for teaching and preaching and redeemer. If you want comfort, if you're seeking comfort today, if you want comfort that you will be one approved by God, then see your iniquity, see your sin as an enemy that needs to be dealt with. Depart from it. Look to Christ and his salvation. Walk according to his word, rightly handling his word. Not according to finite thinking or worldly standards, but walking in obedience to the scriptures. Be in the camp that says God's word is your highest treasure in life because it leads you to godliness and more of Christ and his unending love. Be in the word. Remember what God says. Walk according to it. That is how you will recognize false teaching, how you will grow in your faith, and it's what God's way of giving you more of his grace. Make sure your leaders love God's word, that they only give you the scripture and that the church remains on the foundation of God, that the handling of his word is keeping you looking to Christ, that is changing you, and you're constantly reminded of your need of it. That is what we need today. We need a church that is grounded in scripture, that stands on that rock of scripture and longs for more of God and his holiness that helps us shed off all the old thinking and it teaches us to walk in a straight line toward the cross of Christ. Our church needs that. You need that in your life. Let's pray for God to do that. God, we do pray that you will keep us on that straight path of looking to Christ, of seeing him in his word, of longing for Christ. Lord, keep us on the solid rock of scripture. Help us not to fall. Remind us of the truth. Lord, help us to see the false teachings and all the lures of the enemy. Keep us on the rock. Father, I pray that you will use your word to strengthen your people, create a longing for your word. That is how we receive more of your grace. God, may we be a people of your word here at Redeemer. God, whoever stands in this pulpit, may they preach the simple meaning of your truth. And may your people be a people who long for more of the truth, Lord. We don't want itching ears. We want full hearts, full of your love and your grace. God, you can do this. We can't. Lord, we confess that we constantly are lured and pulled away. Our eyes, our attention are drawn to other things. God, keep our eyes on the cross of Christ. Keep our eyes in the book of Christ. Lord, I pray that you will use your word 
that it will go forth from this pulpit, from the hearts of your people. It will fill this community that King George County will know Christ according to your word. And you will be glorified. In your name I pray. Amen.